Wow, that was awful. I'm not going to lie. I mean, really bad. I mean, like, really, really, really bad. Like, I'm embarrassed for you, honestly. So, hold on. Except for Kevin. Kevin, you, didn't, you get an A-plus, bro. Stephanie, you failed. Sorry. All right. How are y'all doing this morning? This is the power of the microphone, I'm just saying. Hey, real quick, uh, let me get Karen Polk to come forward. Where is she, Karen? Karen is the uh, school counselor over at Abney Elementary, which is the school that we've been spending a lot of time investing into over the last uh, several months. And so basically, uh, she's the one we primarily have been working with. And uh, sorry, it's a little, it's like a minefield up here. Yeah, come right here in the middle with me. And, um, and so she is the one we've primarily been working with as it relates to all the outreaches and stuff. And so I, I really wanted today just to kind of help you uh, get a face to, to Abney, at least for us, in the sense of the time we've been investing and stuff. And so I just invited Karen to come and share us a little bit about just her perspective of what's going on at Abney. So just kind of, we'll just, just kind of share, share about everything we talked about in the first service, but kind of share what you think's going on and the things that you think that we need to know. And then we're going to pray for you one more time because... I want them to pray for you, too. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much for letting me be here this morning. When Stephen Randall asked me to, to come so that you could see me in reference to Abney, I, I was excited because I've wanted to attend this church for a while. And to tell you personally how much we appreciate what you have done for our kids at Abney. For those of you who may not have known the total picture, 40 of our families had Thanksgiving, thanks to Vintage Church. And 82 or 84 children, probably more, because Randall kept saying, put more names, put more names, um, were able to receive Christmas gifts this Christmas. So thank you very much, and it's an honor to be here to let you know about our population. We went from about 560 kids at the old Abney to a beautiful new Abney last year. And with that, we have 960 and increasing every day kids. Um, we're still not at capacity, so um, we're hoping that we can just keep it at this. This is plenty, plenty of kids. Um, but with this increase in population, our needs uh, of our kids have increased. We've inherited a lot more kids from foster homes, um, doubled up families in that the, the original families have lost their homes and so they're living with grandparents or other family members or other house owners. Um, we the shelter, the women's shelter, feeds into Abney. Right now we don't have any children who are attending, but we started the year off with a little girl. Um, we just have a lot more kids in need. So our normal situations with just the economy and a lot of families losing jobs and homes, that in, that in itself has been tough, but then couple it with, with all the other issues has uh, really made it difficult to provide all the needs of our kids. So... Thank you very much for, you know, everything you guys have done for us. Uh, Steve asked me to, 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 to tell you how your church can be of service to us or how, how we see you impacting and, and our, our relationship. And first of all, we'd like to be able to give back to you, so we're hoping to, to find something that we can do for your church. Well, that's why I brought you here, Karen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Continue. Go ahead. Since you asked. Um, but he asked, you know, in terms of needs for us, um, I'm hoping eventually to have a mentoring program. So we certainly will be um, begging for good, solid mentors for some of our kids. Um, I've talked to Steve and Randall about snacks. I think you read that in your newsletter. A lot of our kids are coming to school um, without snacks, which doesn't seem like a big deal to us. But when they eat at 12:15 and maybe even skip breakfast, then you know, we can't keep up with the number of snacks that um, are not being sent. And um, just, like I said, the needs have increased with the population. Okay. Very good. So we'd love to take some time to just pray for you and uh, just to ask the Lord to continue to do a work. Obviously, I'm not sure. I think I said this. She's a primary school counselor. I'm not sure. Did I say that? Okay. At Abney. So she's the primary touch person. So we just want to pray. So if you, as vintage style, I'm just going to put our hands forward. And I'm going to pray for her. And as I pray, I want you just to pray for her, but as, also as a representative of Abney and the other need and the needs that are there. And the one that God will pour out grace and discernment and wisdom for her as she's, as she's working with these children. But two, that God just do the thing that he wants to do at Abney. And so thank you for all that you do. We appreciate it. We're going to pray for you now. Father, we thank you for Karen. We thank you for her life. We thank you, God, just that as she's in, in school, that the Lord, she's... Um, taking time, God, to invest 
into these children. God, it is a job, but it's more than that for her. She's doing this, God, because she cares. And we pray that uh, in this season that you would pour yourself out upon her. God, I do pray that you would give her just a great blessing, great grace. I pray, God, great abilities of wisdom. I pray for discernment, even knowledge, God, of, of things to do and, and steps to take. And we pray for Abney in general. God, we pray for all these children that she's naming, all the families represented by that. That, Lord, there's so many broken things going on. God, we live in a broken world. And I pray, Father, that you would simply bring healing, that you would bring restoration, and that you'd move in these children's lives and these families' lives. Father, we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you, Karen. It's one of those things every week that um, we come in here and we talk about living outward, right? We talk about one of our um, values here at Vintage is living outward and, and looking at our, that you can't transform a community you're not actually living in, right, and investing into. And uh, so every week I know that we've, you know, we pass our baskets down for our tithes and our offerings, right? But, and when we do that, you, you give. But the idea that when you give is you're not just giving to some big, like, nebulous thing out here, right? There are specific things and that, that this money is being invested into. And, and Karen is telling a little bit of that story, of the place where that money is going into, the things that we're investing into, uh, where God's kingdom is moving. We're doing the Kids Beach Club every week and 156 kids or something like that. It, it increases every week, too. All these kids who are coming, and, and it's just been neat to be there and get be a part of the fabric of the school. And that's really the dream, just to be part of the fabric of, of what's going on, right? And in time, you know, as we continue to increase and, and more people come and we re- reach different parts of our community, hey, if you come and say, hey, listen, we want to start our own beach club in our, the school where my kids are going, that would be fantastic too, right? We'd like to help you come alongside and do that, and we'd love to get one of these, you know, beach clubs or some sort of, Touch that the church somehow touching these schools at every school around, and so uh, I know that you know Karen named the mentoring program. I had someone come to me afterwards says, "Hey, man, I was like, guys, like I think I might be called to do that, right?" And so if that's you, and you think maybe even she said that your heart was pricked, as they say, you're like, man, that's interested in that. Just let us know, and we'll begin moving forward in that and have that conversation, and we'll just see where that goes. So, all right, well, hey, dude, let's take our let's take our baskets now and pass them down for our tithes and offerings. If you if you uh, filled out a connect card, uh, this would be the time to stick that card into the basket. And uh, I will shoot you an email this week and just connect with you. And that would be great. All right. Um, well, let's do this. Let's jump in this morning. Uh, if you have to leave at 1230, I'm not going to be done. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, okay? Um, and so you're going to, you may, whatever, if you need to slip out, um, don't be a jerk and do it. I'm just kidding. Um, if you need to slip out, you're more than welcome to do that. So we've been talking about the power of God over the last several weeks, the power of God moving in our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to just name six things for those of you who have missed those to kind of lay this foundation to launch from this morning. All right. So there's six things. I'm going to run through these very, uh, pretty quickly. But just, I would say these are these foundational pieces uh, that we need as the people of God for God's power to be moving in our lives. And so the first thing is this, is God wants to move powerfully in us and he wants to move through us, right? God wants to move powerfully in us. He loves you, right? We, we pray all the time, God, do this and this, and he wants to. He, he wants to move in us, but he also wants to, to move through us, right? And he wants to do this powerfully. He wants his power to come and move in us and shape us, and he wants to move powerfully through us. We looked the last couple of weeks at the life of Jesus, even the, the things that he was doing, right? And so we said the second thing is this, God, excuse me, power is a gift given through God's spirit in our lives. Power is a gift given through God's spirit. So we said Jesus lived his life. And this, if you haven't been here, I just need to make this statement to you, okay? Jesus lived his life as a man. He chose manhood. I say man, I mean as a human being. Right. He lived his life as a human being. He chose to limit himself to the fragility of a human being so that he could then live a human life as a model then for what your life should look like. He limited himself. He was he would limit himself from his godhood. Right. He wasn't omnipotent here on earth. He wasn't omniscient. He wasn't omnipresent. He was no omnis, right? He was a human being who lived his life empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And then he said, hey, in so many words, I'm just kind of putting words into his mouth, Jesus style, right? Hey, I just lived the life that you can live. I just modeled it for you. I'm your model, right? So he modeled for us, right? Powers of gifts given by the Spirit of God. He is our model. So the third thing we see is this. Humility is a prerequisite for God's power. Moving in our lives, to live the life Jesus lived, humility is a prerequisite. James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5, stealing from Proverbs says, God gives grace to the humble, but he literally opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? It means he pours himself out into the lives of those whose lives are marked by humility, but he opposes, he literally, it's like a wall between those people who are living like this selfish, self-absorbed life, trying to do things in their own strength and in their own power. It's like, man, I'd love to move, but I just can't. I give, I pour myself out in grace to the humble, and I live, I, I'm opposed to the proud. I can't move in you because you won't let me. You won't let me. The fourth thing we see is this. Humility is expressed as dependence on God, weakness apart from God's strength, and neediness, realizing that we have nothing good in us apart from God's presence in our life. Humility is expressed by our dependence and our weakness and our neediness. Number five, Jesus is our model of this. Jesus is our model. It's expressed in Philippians 2. Just listen as I read it. Allow these words to wash over. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, he's basically God, he is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He wasn't going after that while he was here on earth as a human being, right? Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but, but, by choice, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, not God likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even humiliation of death on a cross. Jesus experienced the great humiliation. He experienced this by choice. Not as God, but as man. Literally coming and living as a servant. Taking the very nature. He could have chosen whatever, whatever form to take. Do you see this? He could have chosen whatever form he wanted to take. He says, oh, let me be a bond slave. Which is simply a slave who once had freedom, but in their freedom chooses to serve. This is the life that he lived. We looked last week even at, at Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus expresses his dependence on God when he's being tempted by the enemy. Remember it says, he says, man does not live. He named himself man. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. He says, I'm dependent upon God the Father. I can't live my life. I'm, I'm needy. I'm dependent. I'm vulnerable. I need the Father. He's expressing this as a lifestyle before us, which means this. We must shift our lifestyle. Lifestyle. Your style of living. We must shift our lifestyle to celebrate humility and weakness so God's power can move in us and move through us. We, listen, we, you, me, must shift our lifestyle to a celebration of humility, a celebration of weakness, so God's power can move in us and move through us. Henry Nouwen, in his book, In the Name of Jesus, we looked at this last week, he said this, One of the greatest ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly gave in to the temptation of power. Political power, military power, economic power, moral and spiritual power. Even though they continue to speak the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. 
Henry's looking there looking, and he look, he's, you know, if you've ever taken any church history classes, you look back over the history of the church and the Catholic church and look over the, 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 the formation of the Protestant church and all these great church movements, what you find is a bunch of men and women who find themselves in a trajectory that when they get something of power, they grab hold of it and then try to find more. And we find ourselves in a broken place as a church because of it. Here he now is saying, he says, we go after power, but Jesus chose to empty himself. We are not, if we're going to model Jesus' lifestyle, then we too are emptying, of, living a life of emptying ourselves of this of a need for power saying, God, I'm just here to serve, to be needy, to be dependent, and to be humble so that you can flow through me in strength and in power. As we examine closely, as we examine the, the expression of Jesus' life, we come to realize that we are called to follow his example. We're called to model his life. And his model, listen, this is important. His model is not one of the 30, 31 flavors you get to choose from of your lifestyle. It is the only option. It is the one example. It is the option for you. It's the option for me. It's the option for you. For every section of our church right here, this is the option. The lifestyle of Jesus. His model for us as a bond slave, a servant, a life of humility, of dependence, of vulnerability, of neediness. And let's just be honest. We really, really hate this message. Because it's so opposed to everything in our culture. Even in church culture. Listen, I don't care what denomination you're in. There's always an aspiration to get to the top. Every single one of them in church. If you go to a corporation, what is their desire? Always to aspire to the top. There's always this aspiration to be the most powerful. We always aspire to this in our culture. His model, though, for, for our life is, is not an option. It's not an option that we can choose from other places. Instead, it's the expectation of God. It is the option. Now, listen, if you've ever spent any time in corporate world or if you've ever spent any time in a business, you're trying to get better at what you're trying to do. I don't care if you're in church world. I don't care if you're over here in, you know, in mom and popville over here trying to get your business growing bigger. Somewhere along the way, you have to have a discussion. And the discussion revolves around this. Hey, let's highlight our strengths and our weaknesses in our company, in our business, in our church. Because when we do that, we begin to find out what we're good at and what we're not good at, right? This Marcus Buckingham wrote a book called something about strength finders, right? Finding your strengths, all this kind of jazz. And so all these corporations and businesses are like, hey, yes, because the idea of the book is this. Highlight your strengths, and do only those things. Because if you try to do your weaknesses, then guess what? You're going to fail. So in corporations and in businesses and in church, what you do is you, you figure out what you're really good at, and you focus the 80 to 90% of all of your energies on it. And then here's what you do. You find other people who are really good in the areas where you're weak, and guess what you do? You hire them. You hire to your weakness, right? This seemingly is common sense. If you're not good at something, guess what? You shouldn't do it. There are lots of people in this room who should never lead worship up here. You can't sing, so don't think about it, right? You're not strong in that area. But we look for people who are strong in their areas of weakness, that's just how it functions in corporate worlds. So the idea is, let's say you come into your business and you, you really need to begin advertising and marketing, all of that kind of stuff, right? And, and you look around and no one around has the ability to market and PR and advertising and all that kind of stuff. So what do you do? You begin looking around for someone who can do that. And then you, and, and you celebrate, listen, this is the important thing here. You celebrate the fact that you figured out what your weakness is because now you know what's hurting you. And now you can bring somebody in who can be strong for you, right? People ask me all the time, Steve, how, how did you, how did, you know, how did y'all take off at Vintage? I mean, tell me the secret of success at Vintage. And I just say very clearly, well, her name's Randall. 
right? And you think I'm kidding. Really, literally, I am not administrative. I'm really relational, right? I'm the nice guy, right? I'm the guy who doesn't know what a to-do list is. I turn it upside down and say, which way do you do this, right? Like, I'm not that guy. I'm not administrative, right? I'm not going to be able to figure things out like this, right? That's my wife. And so, so when I, we, started, we started Vintage, I would literally sit there every day, and she'd like, she's like, what are you going to do today? And I'm like, I don't really know. She's like, well, here's your list, right? Because she already had her day figured out, my day figured out, and the girls' days all figured out. And she knew you should write your day figured out, too, right? She just had this ability. So in vintage, she administrated everything. And so, I mean, literally, she'd say, like, we, we're doing stuff. And she's like, hey, did you do this? And she's like, I said, oh, I really haven't. And she's like, don't worry, I just did it for you, right? Because she knew I was going to forget. She gets things done. And so I looked. So when, when I was 20-something years old, 27 years old, and I'm, I was very, very single looking for a wife, right? And because I just wanted to have sex, let's be honest. And so anyway... You can laugh at that, guys. Don't be so spiritual. Anyway, that's what happened. So anyway, that's what happens when you get married, you can have sex. Anyway, so anyway, I was sitting there wanting to do this, right? And I'm in my moment of life, doing life, and, and, and I'm sitting there looking, and I'm like, oh, God, bring me a wife. And, my, my, and God's looking down going, oh, poor Steve. Poor, poor Steve. He can't administrate himself out of a box. It's just ridiculous, right? So I'm going to bring him a partner, Right? A partner. I'm going to come and complete him. Right? Kind of Jerry Maguire style. I'm going, to, I'm going to come and complete him and bring someone who is strong in his area of weakness. And here we are. When we come down and we, 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 look, at, we look at this understanding of weakness, there's a reality for us that we should get to the point that we celebrate our weakness. Why? Because it shows the area we need someone to come in and be strong for us. And so instead of, like every one of us do in this room, who live with this inferiority complex of the areas that we are weak in, we celebrate the fact that we weren't designed by God that way and we can blame him. That's how God made me. I'm administrative. So I'm going to find somebody who is, I'm going to celebrate this fact of being inferior so that someone else can come in and be strong. See, that's the essence of humility. Man, I'm vulnerable, I'm needy, I'm desperate for someone to come. And we look at it in a spiritual sense. We are called to live our lives every day like that, saying, I am weak. I am needy, I am incapable, and I love it. I celebrate it. I'm oh terrible at everything. It's so good. So God can come and move in me. This is a story we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. It's Paul speaking, right? And he comes in, and he's writing this back and forth letter between he and the Corinthian church. And let me just go ahead and say up front, when I read this, it's going to be a little bit difficult, okay? It's going to create some questions for you. And let me, tell, let me say this to you. I'm not going to answer all of them, which means you need to go figure out the answers yourself and wrestle through some things with God, okay? So you'll see I'm getting at me read through. I, Paul writes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He went to heaven. Like he was a man living and went to heaven, okay? Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. He saw some pretty cool things, right? I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses, right? Oh, I love being weak. This is awesome. I figured out what I'm terrible at, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what, I, by what I do or say because of these surpassingly great revelations. And therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, we basically find out that Paul's talking about himself. I was given a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, hey, my grace... 
my power, my blessing, my ability, it's sufficient to fit to, to meet your weakness, right? My grace is sufficient for you for my power. Listen to this. This is the part. This is one part that's hard. For my power in your life is made perfect in weakness. That, my friends, is the paradox. Doesn't make any sense. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, if that's the case, then I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in insults. You're really ugly. Ouch. But I celebrate that. I I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then, that's the moment, then, I am strong. I am strong. Paul is coming in this moment, he's just laying out this, this story for us, to set forth this understanding that he recognizes his weaknesses, he recognizes them in his life, he is aware of them, he's not undone by them, he doesn't feel inferior in the moment in them, he celebrates his weaknesses, because he knows in that place, that's the part where he becomes needy for God, and then God can move in his life, and so he's he, listen, he's not celebrating that someone's insulting him. He's celebrating, listen, he's not celebrating the actual hardship. Going, oh, I just love being beaten, right? Woo, right? No, he's saying, I celebrate when that happens because I know in that moment, in my weakness, God is able to flow in me and through me. He's celebrating the result of his weakness because he knows it allows God's strength to be strong in him and to move in him. You see, Paul's sitting here writing this letter back and forth to the church at Corinth, and something so we don't really, we don't know that we have never seen the other letter, but we can just kind of deduce what's going on from the letter he's writing. And basically, what's happening is this: these people that he loves, right? This church he started, they're literally writing the letter, and they're saying, "Paul, there's a group of men who have come to Corinth, and they're basically telling us that they're better than you." In fact, they're actually telling us that you're not really a real apostle. You're not a real leader of the church. You're kind of like a second-hand guy. You're not really all that great. And in fact, they're telling us these stories. They're telling us these stories to back it up. They're basically talking about how great they are and why they're so much better than Paul, right? And 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 so we're just we're just wondering what's going on. And so Paul then he begins to write back and he's like, "Listen, and he does the whole thing. He's like, I'm going to tell you about a man." And he begins this whole process of talking about this man who's been to the second heavens where God resides, all this kind of stuff. And he says, but I, I will, but I will boast of a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except for my weaknesses. And basically what Paul is, is doing in the moment, he's, he's simply saying this. He's like, listen, I could sit here and boast all day about a man who's done this. I could boast about myself, but I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to focus on the things in my life that point to my need for Jesus, right? Why? Because it makes Jesus look good. All he's simply saying is this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about myself. That's what he's saying. I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm not going to talk and tell stories about myself. I'm just going to tell stories about Jesus. Because I don't want you to look at me. It's like Peter. Remember, he's at the gate, beautiful, and he heals this man. And the crowd goes, oh, right? When I put him on a pedestal, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just a man. Don't worship me. It's Jesus is doing this. And Paul's saying, I could sit here and tell you stories about myself all day long. I really could, but I'm not going to. I'm only going to tell stories about Jesus, right? I'm only going to tell you things about him. We see Paul, the focus of his life. He's saying, listen, I'm not going to focus on the powerful things that have happened, the things that I've seen, the things that I've done. I'm going to take your focus and go and focus right over here on Jesus because he's the one who's actually given me the strength to do everything in the first place. In fact, let me talk about my weaknesses because that's how he actually flows through me. Because I sit before him and say, God, I've got nothing. I need you. And then he flows through my, in that place of my weakness. So, Here's some things we see about Paul this morning. Number one, Paul downplayed his power. Paul downplayed his power. He had great revelations. And, for, and we don't know, but this may have been the very first time in 14 years that he's ever shared this experience. Now, let me just ask you this question real quick. If you experienced this when you go home today, would you call somebody and tell them when you, when you got out of it? You're not going to believe what happened today. 
I went to the third heaven. I don't really know. I don't know if I was in my flat. I don't know if I literally was taken there physically or if I was here. God only knows, right? But no, you would sit there and tell these stories. How many people have written books? How many people have spoken at churches that you've been to who tell, and their whole, their whole, the whole thing they stand on is this experience they had with God. And Paul's saying, well, I had that, but I've never told anybody. I've never told anybody because I don't want you looking at me. I only want you focusing on Jesus. I'm only going to tell his story. I mean, as human beings, we are so good. I mean, we're awesome. I mean, really, really, really fantastic at, at, at telling stories about ourselves. Right? There's no one we'd rather, talk, we'd rather talk about than ourselves. We think that we're awesome in our minds, and we tell people all the time. In so many words, right? About our successes and the things that we did. And if we're really good Christians, we always couch it, well, you know, God really blessed me yesterday. Right? Should I, like, play the humble? Have you ever done this? You want to tell a story, and so what do you do? You process it in your head of how you can make it sound humble? I've done that before, right? So Paul, Paul downplayed his own power. The second thing is Paul trusted God's wisdom. This is where it begins to be a little difficult for us because, to be honest, most of us, we have a really hard time trusting God. Verse 7 says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Well, that sounds fun. Paul's coming, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. People always, people, listen, throughout the generations, all these people have written about the thorn. And what's the thorn? And if you ever heard someone tell you in a message what the thorn was, they're wrong. Because they have no idea. No one has ever known. In fact, I would guess that the Corinthians themselves probably didn't know what the thorn was in Paul's life. Now, they may have. I could be completely wrong, right? But there was a level of ambiguity in this, right, on, on purpose. Because if he had given one specific thing, then that's, that's the lens we would have read the story in. Only in that issue, rather than be able to put ourselves in this place when there are situations and difficulties in our own lives. And so Paul's in this place, right? And this thorn has been given, and, and we have no idea what that thorn was, whether it was literally a picture taken from chapter, uh, verse 10 of, uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, where it says there are trials and persecutions and hardships and insults or difficulties. Maybe it's just those things, or maybe it's some sort of physical malady of he's experiencing. We have no earthly idea what it is, but, but one thing that we do know, one thing that is very clear is simply this. It was something painful. It was something difficult in his life. It was something he didn't want present in his life, and it's something he had no control over. He was just at the will of the Father. Something difficult, something overwhelming. And for some reason, God, in this season, in this season of Paul's life, was not willing to take it away. And it was for Paul's own sake. It was for Paul's own sake. God, using the situation, Paul said it, to keep Paul humble, to keep him desperate, to keep him needy, and to keep him vulnerable before God. Why? Human nature, when we experience something powerful, magnificent, that kind of sets us apart, is to get really cocky and arrogant and think we're better than everybody else. Listen, for all you good charismatics, how do you, in your churches... Did you put someone on a higher plane who had a strong prophetic gift than someone who didn't? Have you ever had the audacity to walk out and say, well, that person wasn't full of the Holy Spirit? What? That's called spiritual pride. Or you've been in a fundamental denominational church who doesn't believe in any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of those freaky weirdos, the charismatics. Again, spiritual pride, putting yourself on a different plane. Right? Human beings are prone to do this, to look at themselves and see if they're better than someone else. And God's looking and saying, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm keeping you humble. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? Right? Human nature. Human nature. So what was God's intent in this? What was God trying to do in Paul? Well, he was trying to teach Paul a deep truth about power. He was teaching Paul this deep truth, God says, to Paul. 
my grace, my ability, my strength, my power, my goodness, my wholeness, my holiness, my everything, my grace. My grace is actually made perfect in your weakness, in your moment of difficulty, your moment of hardship. That's when I'm able to move through you the best. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate God's idea? That's ridiculous. Oh, so the time I'm the strongest, God, is when I'm the most weak and feel completely helpless? That makes sense. No. But God's saying, in your moment of great weaknesses, when I can be the most strong in your life. And Paul, at the end in verse 10, he embraces the thought for 14 years. He's, he's expressed and lived out this truth that he learned. He says, for when I am weak, that's actually when I'm strong. I've learned it. I've learned that lesson. I understand. I've experienced it. I've expressed it in my life. When I'm most weak, when I'm most desperate, when I'm most inferior, that is actually when I'm the strongest because that's when I can get out of God's. That's when I'm out of my own ways. I can't do anything and God can move in me. I celebrate my weakest moments because I know someone has to come and be strong in me and through me. God can do this. So, what I don't want you to miss is what we've already stated. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud, right? This is kind of what what we're getting at. God wants to move in power in those who are humble, who come in their weakness, who come in their brokenness, right? But we experience this in our own life. Think about it. In your own life. Let's just kind of begin to name these things. When difficulties come to you. Whatever it is, right? When difficulties come in your life. When when hardships come in your life, things that just anger you, things that frustrate you, what does it do? What does it do in your life? Well, usually what happens, you have an emotional response. Either it's you get really depressed, you get really angry, and then you move on to the next level, and then you realize, you realize this. You realize you can't fix it. You can't fix it. You realize that you are no longer in control. And we like to be in control. We like to be on, on top. We think that we have the most freedom when we have the power to say and make things happen, right? We like to have power. We like to have control in our lives, right? We had this whole thing going down. And these moments you realize you were incapable in your own power to do anything. And you sit there and go, I can't, I can't do anything. Think about your own hardships. Put this into your life, your own difficulties. We live in a season right now where it feels like half of the people we live around are either underemployed or unemployed or struggling financially, right? They're in a place going, I am working my, I'm working so hard and I can't, I just can't figure, I can't get on top. We get to these places where we're no longer in control, we can't do anything in our power, and what happens? Only one thing can we do. Turn to God. Turn to God. And either we turn to him and say, I'm angry with you, which you're allowed to do that, right? You've got to get your emotions out, be honest with the Lord. But you want to move beyond that and say, God, I need you. And then there's the voice of Paul. Notice he's saying, voice of Paul going, you just got there. You just highlighted your weakness. You just highlighted the place where you can't do it and you're needy of God. Congratulations. You've just reached the place of humility. And guess what? You are now a candidate for God's power to move in you and to move through you. It's awesome to get to the place of inferiority. It's awesome to get to the place of brokenness. It's awesome to get to the place of weakness. Because in that place, you can't do it. And you need someone to come in and be strong. And Jesus says, God, give grace to the humble, the broken, the contrite. The kingdom of God belongs to the poor, according to Beatitudes. It belongs to those who are broken and who have nothing and who live in this place of desperate neediness. If you want the power, if we want the power of God moving in our lives and moving through us, then you must learn to celebrate your weaknesses and get to the place of these hardships and say, God, thank you for giving me this place. I hate the hardship, but I appreciate what's being birthed in me. So Paul's response, what does he say? Oh, I boast and I delight in my weaknesses. 
He boasted in them. How counterintuitive is that to the culture in which we live? Well, we let us sit there and tell us sort of how great I am. I mean, I, I, you know, I would, and you can do this to me if you want, if I ever do this and forget that I said this. But I just love sitting in churches sometimes, and, and they, these pastors sit there and just tell me all these great stories about all the things that they've done that week. And I just want them to sit down and be honest and say, now, what were the really awful sins you committed this week? Right? What were the, what were the terrible things that happened in your life this week? Right? Tell me all those things, too, because that's real life. Right? Don't puff yourself up. I want you to boast in your weakness. I want you to boast in this place of humility, of understanding that you didn't do anything. Focus. Woo, Jesus. Right? But we're really good at telling our own story and about how great we are. Paul's response, I had delight and I boast in my weakness. Paul's weakness, it led to humility that allowed God's power to flow in him and through him. And Paul delighted in that expression of brokenness. So the question people always have then is, well, so what do, I, what do we do, Steve? I mean, does this mean literally if I, if I get tormented by a demon coming in, I just sit there and let him do it? I mean, what do I do, right? If, I, if I'm sitting there struggling in life, I just sit there and go, woohoo, this is awesome, right? No, what, what do I do? How do I respond, Steve? Are you telling me that, that God's putting this on me? Everything that's going wrong in my life is God putting this on me? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. We need to respond like Paul. How did Paul respond to this situation? Well, verse 7 says, he recognized this as a messenger of Satan, so he did what he always does when the enemy would move or brokenness would happen. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Do you see what he did? He prayed. He listened. He expected God to move. So what I'm telling us in this story here, this, you know, whatever this whole thing is, this thorn in the side and all this kind of jazz, your response when difficulty and hardship occurs is this. You plead with the Lord. You come and you give yourself in prayer. I tell you what you don't do. Stop whining. Stop whining. And give yourself and go like, like the, the persistent widow. Who said, Jesus said, be like the persistent widow. What did she do? She knocked and she knocked and she knocked and she knocked. She knocked to the point she became annoying and knocking, right? Until finally the judge answered. And Jesus said, this is just too, is how you ought to pray in the issues of your life. You pray until there's breakthrough or until God answers. Because what happened in Paul's life is God answered and said, you can stop. I'm not taking away because I'm trying to do you a favor to keep you humble. Because I've shown you things that no other human being may have ever seen before. And so I'm doing you a favor because I want to use you. And he goes, I get it. I get it. I don't like it. I get it. See, the thing about Paul is when he prayed, he prayed, expecting God to move. Do you expect God to move when you pray? And I bet... He was probably surprised when God said no, because he had seen amazing things. He had seen legs grow and eyes be opened who were blind. He's seen dead people be raised when he prays for them, right? He lives in this expectation that when he prays, God does something good. Paul had a better prayer life than most of us in this room. He lived in the expectation of God moving in power and was probably surprised when he didn't, but then embraced that, right? He embraced that and said, I don't get it, but I get it. I get it, right? I get it, God. I don't like it, but I get it. So how then do we respond in our life when difficulty, hardship, these issues arise in our life? Number one is this. Don't tell, stop telling your own story. Tell God's story. I mean, Paul, again, this idea. Paul literally sits there and he says, in my life, I'm going to live a lifestyle of not focusing on me, but I'm going to live a life of humility. Live a life of humility of literally saying it's all about Jesus. I was talking to my buddy, Tyler. A lot of you know Tyler Dameron. Uh, he helped out with youth all summer. And he and I did breakfast on Tuesday morning at an IHOP on, on 41. And your, your IHOP stuff. And do you still work there? There you go. Fantastic. We did look for you. You weren't there. Anyway, so, um, <clears throat> so I was there. We were talking. He said, hey, I took your message from Sunday. And I really processed it all day. And he said, I, I started doing something. I think you should tell everybody at church. I was like, okay, tell me. And he said, he said I literally started counting how many times I said I or me in a story. And then I started really being aware of it when I prayed. How many times I said I, and I all of a sudden realized, 
like the majority of my life revolves around me thinking about myself. And, man, I just, and it was like, oh, and he said, I realized it's not about me. So I, he said, shifted the way that I've talked and the way that I've prayed. And I was like, that is profound. Right? Practically this week. Listen, don't tell your own story. Count of times you say I and begin telling God's story. Begin asking people their story and give them opportunities to share, right? Do a better job of listening than you do speaking. That's it's just beautiful when we do that. So the first thing we see, Paul's expression here. Second thing, pray with expectation. Paul, Paul prayed. Pray with expectation when difficulties come. You need to get, listen, when issues arise... You can talk to everybody you want to around you, but you better spend more time praying into it, seeking the heart of God, seeking his will, seeking his presence, and knowing him in the moment than trying to figure out what everybody else around, around you thinks. Right? Spend more time in prayer. When an issue arises, give yourself in prayer. Find, find God and expect him to move. Expect him to move. Paul came and prayed, pleaded for three times. This, this has always worked. And God said, bro, not this time. I'm doing something special in you because I want to use you in power. So we pray with expectation when difficulties come. But the third thing is this. But no matter what happens, boast in your weakness and embrace humility. No matter what happens, boast in your weakness and embrace humility. So listen, this was a unique experience of Paul. Right. This was a unique experience to his life. It had never happened before. Maybe it never happened again. It was a unique experience. But in this moment, just like in every other verse 10 trial, persecution or hardship or difficulty he faced, he said all of these moments. Listen to this. Every single one of our difficult and hard moments. Guess what they are? It's an opportunity for us to have our weaknesses and our inferiorities exposed so we can celebrate them and recognize our neediness for God so his power then can flow through us. Paul, oh man, I just celebrate my weakness because that's the place God's about to move. In your broken areas, in your broken places, in your needy moments, in these areas that you're just overwhelmed with life to the point you're not even sure if you can make it. The heart of God is a simple shift in the heart that, 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 that your friend Paul would speak from heaven to you. Celebrate the moments. Celebrate them. Because you're weak. And that's awesome. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And we have this shift. They go, I don't like this. Listen, Paul, again, he didn't like the insults. He didn't like the hardships. He didn't like getting beat up. Listen, if you read through, if you read that before in chapter 11, it talks about literally he was beaten three times to the point that they, the people around him thought he was dead. And he goes, I delight in those. You're an idiot, Paul, I know. But it shows my need for God. I will tell you something. Every single person in here, hmm, man, we could just do one-on-one, like to like a 15-minute window, like a one-on-one, like two-on-one, just have this conversation with you. Like kind of talk about the specifics of your life. I want to say this to you. I didn't do this at 9 o'clock, so you get this special. My heart, it, listen, this is a true story. My heart, I just look out on Sunday mornings, and I'm like, oh, I just want to take this and squeeze into people's bodies into their brains because I look at your lives because it's just like mine. I'm like, if we, if we, I think I look at myself in the mirror. Like if I could just get this into the core of who I am, it would change my life. If I got to the point I celebrated my inferiority complexes, because we have a lot more than one, every one of you. And celebrated my weaknesses and sat down. So someone comes and say, hey, can you do this? I'm like, no, I'm really, really bad at it. <laughs> I can't. I'm terrible at it, man. But we can find somebody who is, right? God, I'm terrible at this. I know, Steve. I want to be strong and move through you and in you. Man, it would literally change because this is what happened. You would wake up tomorrow morning. Listen to this. You would wake up tomorrow morning and you would know God. I mean, the... Not the God you've created in your own image who lets you do whatever you want to whenever you want to, but the God who's holy, 
and who is all-powerful and who, when he begins to move, it messes us up because he is so higher than. And we're like, do you really want to do this in me? Yes! I want to move in power in your life. I want to move through you in your life. I want you to recognize that when you're weak, it's when I'm strong and it's good. Man, we could get that into it to just wreck our lives in a good way. All right, anyway, keep on going on. Sorry about that. So, so no matter what happens, we boast. I'll never forget. I was going to tell the story because when, when my mom died, she died in February of 97. My mom died. Excuse me, no, she died in April of 97. She, got, she had a brain aneurysm in February of 97. It's two months. She was in the hospital. And that two months of my life was just, I was literally, I was in my last semester of college. I was right in the middle of my, my final project from my advertising thing I was doing for East Bay, Georgia, journalism school, whatever. And I was in this midst of this big, massive thing. I'm, li- I'm literally writing a paper at the hospital in Gainesville, right? I mean, I'm literally doing this because I get, get this, pr- this thing for this project. I mean, it's just bizarre, right? And I'm sitting there, and let me tell you something. I don't know if you ever, I don't know about you, but when your mom gets really sick and about, about to die, it overwhelms you. I'm sitting in the moment, I'm overwhelmed, right? Emotionally overwhelmed, I'm undone. I can't even function. I can't, I can't, and I literally, I would, I would go through my, I'd wake up in the morning and will myself awake. And I would go to my class and will myself to sit there and take notes. And I would will myself back to my bed so I could lay back down and take a holy nap. And just say, God, thank you for helping me make it today. I am like, I'm just like, I'm undone, I'm overwhelmed, i got to drive back home and see my mom who's sitting in ICU with tubes all in her. God, this is overwhelming. You, I'm weak, I can't do it, I'm needy, I'm desperate, I'm overwhelmed. God, move. I passed all my classes, y'all. And I was telling a buddy of mine, we were sitting there one night at the cigar bar talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. And he's, he's asking me all these questions, like, talk about your life. Talk about when you went deep with Jesus. And I said, man, I'll be honest with you, it happened when my mom died. I've always been a Christian, but man, I'll tell you, something happened in that moment that, that in my desperation and my need, it's like I just took off with Jesus. It was unbelievably amazing. I just, and I'm sitting here telling him the expression of this, right? What going on in my life and how I'm leading these people. I mean, I literally, my mom died. I drove home to Gainesville. I looked for the ICU nurse, Tracy, because we'd gotten really close to her. And I go up and I walk up, walk to the door and I, and I ask my dad, I said, where's Tracy? He goes, she's upstairs. And I walk through the door. And I, and, I, and I go to the desk, and they say, she's back there. And I go into the break room, right? And she's just sitting there weeping, and we just held each other, right? We sat there and held each other, and I said, it's going to be okay. And she's like, why are you telling me this? It's your mom, right? And I said, because God has given me this sustenance in life. He's being strong, and this is my weakness, right? And I said, can I pray for you? She's like, that's weird, but okay, right? And we just prayed in the moment, and she got done, and she's like, why do I feel better? I said, because Jesus loves you. And he's doing the same thing for me in the moment of my desperation, the moment of my needs, right? And so Todd looks at me in the cigar bar. And he goes, so Steve, I'm like, yes, Todd. Do you think that God killed your mom so that you could go deep with Jesus? I said, absolutely not. But Todd, I believe in Romans 8, 28, says, I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And Todd, I said, I'll tell you what, man, God didn't do that. But, man, it was a difficult hardship in my life. God didn't make it happen. God didn't, didn't kill my, my mom. I said, but God was able to take me in that moment, my moment of weakness, and be strong. And change me forever. Change me forever. I want to ask you to willfully, empower the Holy Spirit, to willfully choose this week when hell breaks loose and you feel inferior and desperate and angry and overwhelmed. I want you to willfully celebrate. And say, God, there you go. I need you now. I need you now. Which brings us to the fifth thing we see in Paul's life. He trusted God. He trusted God. See, that's really what it all boils down to in our lives. And we talk about this and wrestle with these verses here. 
is do we really trust God enough that his grace is sufficient for me? Because what most Christians do when hardship comes is they get angry. And they get mad at God and they begin to blame him. And then what they realize is they never trusted him in the first place because trust is only trust when the issue arises that requires trust. You can't say you trust God if you've never been through hell with him. You can only say you trust someone when you've been through it and you know they're trustworthy. We as Christians, we get mad. We, th- we think that there's like this supernatural thing that happens when we give our life to Christ that we never hurt again. We never have hardship. Difficult times never come. Listen, if that's what you think Christianity is, then you've never known what Christianity was. If you want to know what hardship is, become a Christian. And it, it's like all hell breaks loose. True story. If hardship isn't happening in your life, then you're probably not living your life right. right? Oh, goodness. We're not immune to hardship. Difficulties are going to come. Paul basically is saying, so when those come in my life, I celebrate because that portrays my weakness. And then that's when crazy God things happen in me and happen through me. And I'm like, God, that's what we want. God, we want you to move and do crazy things in us. Like John Wesley says, just just set me on fire and let me burn so everyone can see me. I'm paraphrasing terribly. Set me on fire. Just want to, oh, just want to be a burning sacrifice. Everyone can just look at me and say, oh, there's Jesus. Not literally, he's Jesus. But they, it's like, he just see Jesus in me. It's like I'm portraying his life everywhere that I go. Oh, God. I want to see crazy things happen in me and crazy God things happen through me. Humility is a prerequisite for the power of God moving in your life. As we highlight our weakness, we celebrate them and say, we just figured out, God, where you need to move, and it's about everywhere in my life because I'm just all weak and inferior. That's what he's looking for. And that's what we're looking for. A life of humility. And when it happens, when difficulties come, what do we do? We pray with everything we have in us. And you know what happens? God will usually move. But there'll be instances, there'll be hardships that will last for a season. And there's a purpose behind those. I'm not talking about, listen, this is really clear. Let me make this point very clear at the end. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about sin. Sin is something you have the power to conquer. I'm talking about issues and hardships that arise. You can't say, oh, I've just got this hardships of sin. No, no, sin, you conquer. Hardships are not sin. Those are things outside of yourself that you have no control over. So don't go, oh, I'm just wrestling with lusting and I'm probably going to have sex again tonight. Fantastic, right? Outside of marriage, of course. You can do it outside of marriage. But anyway, this is the point here. Brokenness, humility. This is what God's looking for. This is a church that God can move in and use to transform a community. A humble church who serves one another, who doesn't get easily angered. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, right? Quick to listen to one another, quick, not quick to speak. Listening, loving, serving, giving our life away. All right, I'm belaboring all these points because I just want us to get it so badly. Humility is a, so basically, long story short, humility is a big deal, right? Humility is a big deal in your life. If you want to see, if you want to see God's grace moving in your life, basically, I, I name it the holy highway. If you want to see the highway, it's like this. It's like, it's like a ramp like this. You want to see a highway of God's stuff being poured into your life. And then through you, choose humility. Choose to love those that you really, 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 you don't want to say hate because you're a Christian, but you really mean to, but you really, really don't like. Right? These people, love them. Pray for them. Serve them. Choose to walk the extra mile. Choose to turn the other cheek. Choose to live a life of servanthood. It's counterintuitive. It's everything opposed to our culture. It's the only option, though, for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace they've given me just to, to ramble on, God. But, and thank you, God, just for the word that you're speaking into us. And 
Often the word is, Father, just in the long, the long run, is that, God, you want to do amazing things in us and through us, God. You, you want to see something happen, God. You want to see lives change and, and people come to know you and people set free, God. There's so many things that you want to do. And you're simply looking. So you say, God, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those that you can strongly support, you can pour grace out into, God. You're looking for churches. You're looking for individuals. You're looking for movements even inside of the church, God, that you can strongly support. And you pour out grace upon the humble. Help us, Jesus, because we stink at it, embracing humility. Help us, Jesus. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.